Welcome to Group Talk, a podcast conversation focused on relevant issues for leaders of small group ministries. Whether you are a church of 100 or 10,000, whether you are a lay leader or staff, we want to encourage, equip, and challenge you to thrive in your ministry context. The Small Group Network exists to inspire, inform, support, and resource one another because we are better together. Now, let's get ready for today's episode of Group Talk. All right, well, live from the lobby conference in 2017. Live, live from the lobby. That's our night live, but close enough. All right. So we are doing a special edition of Group Talk, and I have with me the incomparable Steve Gladen, the small group's pastor at Saddleback Church. And I Could have you teach my wife to say that? The that incomparable? Be, uh, yeah. Yeah, but that could slice either way. You're incomparable for many reasons. Incomparable. Um, but we're going to spend the next hour asking questions of Steve. We gathered a whole bunch of questions from the participants here at the lobby, and um, they kind of run the gamut. And there's some surprises in there, Steve. I think you would enjoy Bring him on. Let's go. <laughs> My name is Carolyn Takeda, and I normally host um, this small group uh, group talk, but usually it's not quite so unplugged. So this will be a stretch for me. Yeah, I think um, you're loving all the people out here. Just you know, the live <laughs> you live the like the live yeah. venue. I can tell. Yeah. Okay. So here we are, and we're also on uh, Facebook Live as well. So this is just stretching in all sorts of ways. So hello. All right. So why don't we kick this off with a nice? We'll go slow, kind of the slow pitch, and then we'll. Um, ramp it up, and maybe our audience will help us ramp it up. We'll, we'll go. Um, we'll go. All right. So first one, um, how do you create a group's culture in your church beyond the pastor just mentioning you need to join a group? So beyond the commercial. Thanks for the slow one. That's, a that's nice, not a slow that's one? A, that's a, no, it's great and slow. It's a cultural one. So uh, I, I think um, when I flash back to uh, the earlier days of Saddleback and, and how that was going, is that, you know, even Rick has had a progression with that. And uh, there's uh, five levels of uh, renewal that that your church can go through. And uh, the first one is personal renewal. And that's where we as the point people have to be called to it. That's why one of my top interview questions is, are you called to groups ministry? Do you live, breathe, die for it? Because you're going to have highs and you're going to have lows. And in the lows, you want to bail the church and everything like that. So so there's the personal renewal that you've got to have inside of you that says, I am called to group ministries. I believe temple courts, house to house. I would never take a demotion and be a senior pastor. Uh, So, uh, you know, that is is where where I am at. So that's uh, so that's the personal uh, renewal. Wow, now we just got to tweet it. Yeah, I that, know. That's yeah. okay. So, uh, I think Rick and Warren would be really like to. I'll be looking like for to, a job. Yeah. If anybody needs a, needs a small group point person, I'm, I'm available very quickly. Uh, but the other thing, too, is then there's relational renewal. And relational renewal is when you start to move beyond yourselves in the pockets that God has given you influence. And part of what I had to learn was, is I don't need to be the one that influences Rick. I just need to know who Rick trusts to be able to influence them. So when you're starting out in small group ministry, you got to start relationally. And one of the things we like to say is that um, when you are trying to build a church of small groups, it is never a military campaign. You are not coming in with all your might and all your power, and you're striking the difference in the church, but it is a political campaign. And when you talk to anybody who's doing political work, trying to get elected, they know every precinct, they know every demographic, they know every person, they know all the pockets of you know who they're, where they're trying to get their constituencies to elect them. 
and they know what matters to them. So part of that too is in the relational renewal, you need to know all the, the battleground areas of your church and start to move with the movers. If you uh, Google an innovation diffusion curve, uh, you'll start to see that business has done a lot of work on uh, early, mid, and late adopters. And what you got to do is move in the relational phase, in the relational renewal, you've got to work through all the early adopters and use everything you can from video to testimonies, uh, because you are the salesperson, the people whose lives are changed, they're the satisfied customers. And so you want to build with whatever influence God has given you. I think one of the best things I learned from you early on was to not um, waste a lot of time and energy on the late adopters. And I remember you saying, go with the people who are going, invest your energy there. I'm like, but they're already excited. They're already going. Um, and he's like, no, but that's the people that are going to then get you the next wave. Yep. Um, and I was trying so hard to persuade the people that were lagging behind and wanting them to get on board and just emotionally really investing in that. And you're like, leave them. Just go, go with yeah, the ones the, who are going. The, the bottom line is they will suck you dry. And it's, it's, it's just awful. So, But the, the cool thing about in the early adopters is there's two and a half percent that dictate how that bell curve moves across whatever you're trying to do. So for us, it's groups world. So there's personal renewal, you're bought in, there's relational renewal. And uh, then the next thing is there's missional renewal. And this is where as small group people, you've got to build, you got to find out your senior leadership's love language. You've got to bond with them. You got to get to know them and you need to know what are you trying to produce? If Carolyn is the perfect disciple here, oh, which, I wish. <laughs> you know, actually, you know, you could be. I can't use myself, but uh, but what do you exude, and what what is it that your church is trying to do? And churches are great at uh, being able to to have the taglines. Even we do. We have you know, bounce the Great Commission and the Great Commandment, the heart of every person. But it has no traction with it if you just leave it there. So all of your training. All of your uh, tools that you're developing, all of your video curriculum, your uh, your community leaders or coaches or however you're the leaders of leaders and your data, all of that is pushing towards the end in mind. And if the senior leadership isn't on board with that, then you don't have missional renewal. So part of missional renewal is being understand, what is my church excited about? Uh, a visual is if I said, hey, you know, after this Facebook Live, come over to my house you know, and I just said, hey, come on over to Tribuco Canyon, that gets you within 40,000 people of me. Even if I gave you my subdivision, you'd be within 273 of my house. Even if I gave you my street, it's within 10. But if you wanted to get to my house, everyone here would say, hey, give me your address, you know, and I'll get there. Well, the problem is, is in church world, sometimes we tell our people Tribuco Canyon, and they're roaming around 40,000 people. Sometimes it's the, uh, you know, just the subdivision. But rarely does the church say, this is the end in mind. This is what we're doing. So that's the missional renewal. And then from missional, then you can go to structural. And part of structural is when you can start to influence budget and calendar. Now, the problem is most small group peeps, they start out at personal, and they're trying to get to structural renewal. And they're saying, give me more money, give me more staff, let me get on the calendar and stuff like that. And you haven't earned the rights. And so what you got to do is work with what you got so then eventually the culture of your church will move. But you've got to be strategic and personal, relational, missional, and then structural renewal. In your experience, Steve, have you seen that process take, what, anywhere from a year to maybe 10 years? And what would be the range Oh, I, I mean, I would say when we came on staff, um, uh, both Brett and I in uh, the latter part of 97, and then 
uh, were really focused in, in 1998. It was probably our tipping point happened at uh, uh, in '02 in the fall of '02. So, uh, and that's a church where you know Rick was bought in, but you know to get everything firing on cylinder. So you put any distance between you and your lead pastor. Uh, then, then that's where it starts to break down and takes more time. Yeah, so don't be discouraged if it takes no. time. But, but just simply ask, do I know my, my senior, my lead pastor's love language? Yeah. And get yeah. to know that. So we have a whole podcast on that. You can search to that's find true. out how to jump in with the lead pastor. It's one of the few we did without you. I know. And, and Eric did an awesome job. I've got the most downloads. So I don't want to say anything, but go ahead. <laughs> All right. Well, moving right along. Okay. I, I love your first... It didn't get the most downloads. <laughs> the, um, the first point you had on that, on the personal renewal piece, um, because as Andrew Mason noted, that's a very tweetable comment you made about how you need to be really bought out as a group's pastor. So one of the questions we had was, you know, who would be an ideal candidate to be the small group's pastor or to be the director, your point person? Like, if you're a church and you're looking for someone to kind of champion this ministry in small groups, what are you looking for maybe beyond the, the I'm bought out on biblical community? Is there, what other characteristics? I mean, beyond the calling of God. On, on in addition, yes. Oh, in the addition to God doing it. <laughs> you know, uh, you skill know, yeah. set, giftedness, you know, blah, blah, blah. There's other things. You know the thing I love, and this is where we see at the lobby. When you look at the lobby here, we got maybe 123 or 120 to 130 people who are passionate about groups. And every one of them is different. That's really true, yeah. And what I've discovered is that uh, I'm wired a certain way and... Uh, and what, it, what I've learned is that my way is not always the right way. I think it is, <laughs> but it's not. Uh, and it's kind of like in marriage, too. I think my way is the right way, but it's not. Uh, but, I agree uh, with Lisa. Yes. <laughs> um, but what's interesting is in First Peter 5, 1 through 4, which is a common group language uh, scripture, it's interesting that the same word used for pastor kind of gives three characteristics. One's an elder, one is a shepherd, and one is an overseer. And what I've noticed is that uh, all groups, people gravitate to one of those. Hmm. So some of them may be more of an elder. They're more of a developer. They like to come around people and develop them. And I could give you a list of names of cast of character people who are very, very, very strong in that. There are some that are a little bit more the, the shepherd. They're a little bit more caring and they, they're highly relational and they, they, you know, people, when they meet them, they love them and they, and it's vice versa. And th then there's the overseer piece, which is more the manager aspect. Mm -hmm. And that's where I gravitate to, I know you're shocked that I'm, I, not I'm the really shepherd <laughs> or the developer, but you ask any one of my staff, they'll go, Hey, isn't it cool to be with Steve? Cause he'll develop you. And they go, uh, I don't see him. Uh, so, uh, you know, he does nothing for me. Uh, but you know, there's that, that aspect of it. But uh, <laughs> one of your staff team just said so true. Yes. Well, and th the they'll be looking for a job if I'm not looking for a job first. Um, but uh, but there's also the, the shepherd and caring piece, too. And, and uh, that's I, how I experienced you. Yeah, I know. And I do care. I do care, <laughs> but not all the time. But uh, so you got do you have to know where your strength is and compliment yourself with in the early days? It was volunteers. 
uh, because I was the only small group pastor on staff. In the latter days, I could hire that way because our church grew and we had more staff. So you've got to be looking at what you are. Now, there, there's things that go along with all of that because if you can't care for people, oh my goodness, you know, you're, you're not going to build a, a group's ministry because no one's going to like you. Um, <laughs> and if you're not developing people, how are you bringing that next gen right. behind you? Or any leaders, yeah. Yeah, to be able to, to make that happen. And if you're, if you're not an overseer, then how in the world do the systems and the structure get right. put into place? Right. So you just got to be comfortable enough to know that you're not going to have all of that, but you, you definitely need parts of all those things. And so I always had volunteers that were great developers. They'd love to pour into people. They, they did that in their business, and they could help me out with it. Uh, there's always people that, that I find that love to care for people. And, oh, my goodness, your coaches and your community leaders, they're, they're predominantly that. Yes. So I go, oh, you care for the sheep because, you know, I'm just going to shear them or make lamb chops. Uh, so, uh, so, you know, depending on how I feel about them. So, uh, but the thing I love and uh, what I gravitate is to the strategic launch and development mm. of how we do groups at Saddleback. So you just got to figure out where you are and hire around you. I don't ever want to be one of your lamb chops, so there's a reason not to work for it Steve. It was just a little humor. All it's right. just, come on, I'm not, I'm not a bad guy. I'm not, All I'm right. not a nice uh, person. T- well, somebody really wanted to know this. Um, how did it feel when Penn State beat Ohio State? How did it feel? <laughs> it felt like, you know, after the last decade, I'm glad Penn State was able to win a football game. Uh, <laughs> so, uh, but I, I look forward to seeing them in the shoe, uh, you know, this fall. So uh, we are. Not Penn State. (laughs) (laughs) And if you're interested in football analogies, we did a group talk last year on how small groups ministry is like football. And that took all of my very little knowledge of football. I had to glee from my husband to do that I knew it was a tough one when you said, so the shortstop, what's the analogy with them? I was like, that's painful, Carolyn. That was a challenge. Yes. She but still thinks know, a shortstop's in football, say, so don't Okay, if you're a woman in ministry and you're working mostly with guys, it's actually helpful to know some of the sports analogies if you're not a sport person, which I'm not. Because it tends to be their love language. Or they're just, yeah. it just is. Do you know it's, it's today is National International Women's Day? Really? You're so sensitive. How did you know this? <laughs> why, why, why do I have to tell you this? Because I haven't been on Facebook. I haven't seen it. Who says I heard? It's someone from the audience that I heard it on Facebook. <laughs> it's benchmark. You know, I'm just, I'm all about that. So <laughs> anyways, go thank, on. So Next thank question. you for honoring women on International Women's Day. Uh, um, all right. I had to point it out. <laughs> all right. What is the secret to go from 250 groups to 3,500 groups? And these numbers are so interesting. They're so precise. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm guessing these numbers are from your book or from something you've said? Yeah, I'm sure they're, they're probably picking up from the book because we started with about 256 groups when we came on staff. And when Small Groups with Purpose was written, it was hovering in the 3,500 mark. Um, you know, um, you know, when you print money at your print shop and give it out to your group leaders, that's one way that it gravitates, you know, stronger towards them. Uh, I, I would say probably the thing is that uh, we, we had two different strategies in that gapping of time. And one of them um, uh, that you can see is our connection strategy. And in our connection strategy, we, it was, we had the ability to take attenders and get them into groups. And that's in uh, chapter 16 of the book. Chapter 17 is the campaign strategy, which really uh, 
turboed our, our groups. And so I think what the question is trying to say is, you know, how do I move from X to Y right. in the number of groups? And I think if your church is a church with groups, and there's nothing wrong with that. I mean, you just got to recognize where you're at. I would go a little bit more our connection strategy. But if your pastor, your senior leadership is open to a campaign, uh, then, uh, you know, that's pretty well spelled out uh, in chapter 17. And it has great ability to uh, engage people at a, at, a, at a quicker level and a deeper level and take, um, you know, exponentially just move your leaders and your groups into a high, high phase. Now, I would couch that in being able to say, um, if you don't have the infrastructure in place, right. you'll grow a lot of groups in a campaign but they'll go away just as quick as they came. So mm-hmm. there's there's some strategic things that you have to keep in mind there, and it's pretty well outlined in the in the book. I know we didn't bring the books. <laughs> and, oh, you know, the, and so the, the book is called <laughs> Small Groups with Purpose and Leading Small Groups. Oh, check this out. We have you know we have group. Oh, uh, look at this. Uh, there we go. And so, uh, but anyways, it's and again, it's 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 not so much that you've got to do it that way, but you do have to have a system in place to be able to engage people at the best place. That's a great word. Um, and I love that you memorized which chapters there, and you must get asked that one a lot. There are so many, there are some questions that I get asked all the time, and I actually, some of them, I know the page number for them. because Seriously? Like, seriously. Okay, I, w- I want to hear one of those. What's, a, what's like the most popular question you've gotten since you've um, put out you know, the book? How big can my group be, and how do I subgroup? Page one, 111. That's that's the the main question. I mean, it's just it's one so, of so one Steve. Of the let me ones. ask you: How do you subgroup, and how big can the group be? On page one eleven <laughs> in small groups with purpose, uh, you'll, you'll you'll see you can read all about that. Serious question? <laughs> no. Thank you. <laughs> you can read all about that. We have more important questions. Okay. Um, what is one thing you wish you could change? Okay, so about your life, about your appearance, about your church. About, about Carolyn. About me, sure. <laughs> We've known each Okay, so backstory. Steve and I have known each other for almost 20 years, yeah? Uh, longer. Yeah, for ahead. a long that, time. Okay. So this Don't is why he can give me a lot of grief. I, I'm not hurt. It's really okay. <laughs> we know he doesn't have the character. We, 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 were in, we were in small group together back at my last with our church. spouses, yes. And then you did a coup, and you're now the small group no. pastor at the church, and I left no. and had to so go So neither of us actually led the group, which I think, was hilarious. So Steve was a small group pastor at the time, and, and we were new to the church, and somebody else brought this group together. They kind of handpicked um, a group, and then uh, Steve's wife is amazing, and we just totally hit it off, and so I really didn't really know Steve. I pretty much just hung out with her, and then um, and our husbands, my husband, also connected really well, and then Steve came to Saddleback, and then a few years later, I entered the group world, and I, it was my first phone call, like, what do I do? What am I doing? I'm a lawyer. I'm not a pastor. How do I do this? And then, since then, it's just been a love fest. It has been. <laughs> As you can see. All right, so what would you like to change? I don't know really what they were getting at, but uh, what's one thing you wish you could change? I, I mean, if I if I were king for a day, it'd be it'd be this broken planet. I mean, uh, <laughs> Is this a Miss America answer? No. I, world peace. I, I want world peace. Wow. <laughs> Coming on Women's International Day, you had to be sexist and go to that. So, okay. You're saying world peace. You know, there, there is. I mean, I, you de- all the church work is dealt with, we, we deal with because we're in a broken planet, and it's so sure. hard to deal with it. But, um, 
yeah, I can't, I don't know how to answer that question, you know, other than, you know, I'd like to change the person who asked the question. Yeah, I don't, I don't know who asked that question. That was interesting. All right. Um, it's a more serious question from Cynthia. Um, how do we get groups to multiply when they do not want to separate? Oh, this is such a common one. Yeah. Uh, chapter eight in uh, small groups with purpose. You know, I, I, I'll, I'll just boil it down real quick. Um, if you look at, you would never take an American idiom overseas, because uh, you wouldn't be cross-cultural. But yet, the main things that have influenced group life over the last three decades have come from either uh, China, from Ying Kai, t for t training, uh, the Cell Movement from Paul Young Cho, or G12 from Bogota, Colombia, Cesar Castellon. And, and so their principle is evangelism. Their method is rapid cell multiplication. And so there's nothing wrong with that. And rapid cell multiplication is if, you, you know, they have a certain period of time where one group becomes two, two becomes four, four becomes eight, eight becomes 16. Yes. And that's all the, all the numbers I can do right now. Um, keep going, keep going. 16 plus 16. But anyways, you get the idea. That's rapid cell multiplication. And again, that's not a bad thing. I found in about my first 10 years of doing group life that I just couldn't get groups to do that. Mm-hmm. They would just give me the spiritual middle finger, and uh, so uh, you know it was it was one of those things where you know you just could you you, were, you found you're spending more time forcing them to do this, and you know I was raised Catholic, so I mean I brought a boatload of you know Catholic guilt, and you know and they still wouldn't do it, and so what I had to look at is why they wouldn't do it, and when you understand that the mm-hmm. Bible is right. written on a family system, it's very important because the you know. Th- the, the church isn't written, and when I say church, I mean temple courts and right. house to house. Right. Uh, the church isn't written on a governmental system, although a lot of churches structure like that, tend to be about as effective. It's not <laughs> written on a corporate system, and so you can't run it like a business. And a lot of churches run that way as yeah, well. Yeah, and they're very tight control. Uh, it's not even run like a school system, and I know that mm-hmm. gets me in trouble with a lot of the folks at the lobby, but it's not written on semesters. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's no, no problem with on-ramps and off-ramps, but the Bible was written on a family system. That's why the highest qualification for a pastor in Timothy is, can you run your family? Because if you can't run your family, then you can't run the church. Now, there's all kinds of methodologies that can make that work. And I get, you know, uh, for those that do semesters, you know, that that, that is a methodology and mm-hmm. stuff like that. But all I'm trying to do is make sure you're sensitive to the fact that the the Bible's written on a family system. So that's why all the motifs throughout the New Testament are parent-child. Now, why that is so important is when you're talking about evangelism, one of the reasons when I, when I did some research and found out why groups didn't want to break, because I started hearing a common, this is what they, this is the common thread I heard from groups that's saying, when I, with, when I knew groups and I knew that I could ask them honestly, why don't you want to multiply? Mm-hmm. And they go, this group is yeah. closer than my blood. Yeah. I have found family. my family. It's family, yeah. And doing some research, three things in highly westernized cultures, and I don't care where those westernized cultures are on the planet. I mean, I've been in Korea talking about this and them going, oh, that resonates with me. Uh, because what happens is, is like in Southern California, we're in our fifth generation of divorced families. So wow. the family system it's has broken. been fractured by that. For the first time since the 2010 uh, census, the, the majority of children are being raised in step families 
instead of nuclear family of one mom, one dad. Yeah, or single fa- single parent families. Yeah. So again, that's uh, well, the stats would say it's more step families, but there are single parents too that that are doing it also. So again, you're raising a culture that where they're saying the way God designed it. And anybody who's divorced or in step families, that's not a bad thing. It's just culture has dictated that to mm-hmm. us. So, but what you have to realize is that the third thing is I'm even doing it, and you're going through it with your girls too, mm-hmm. is that kids move away from home to go to college or university. I'm in denial. Yeah, I'd be in denial because- <laughs> She's already accepted, stinks. but I'm in denial. So my daughter is four hour, a four-hour flight yeah, from me. Yeah. If she meets somebody out there, which she will not, but if she would, <laughs> uh, then, you know, high chance that she wouldn't, you know, be, uh, she wouldn't be coming back home. Oh. So when you start to see that when the family unit is fractured by culture- then when you come out saying, hey, for the cause of Christ, let's divide and stuff like that, they're going, there's no way I'm going to do that. So, wh- so what you're faced with is, do you not do evangelism? So the principle is still evangelism, you know, the right, Great Commission. Right. So the question is, what's your methodology? And so for us, our methodology has taken two other forms, and it's in chapter 8 and chapter 17. <laughs> but chapter 8 is, we ratcheted up personal evangelism. Hmm. And there's some different tools that we have to do that. And then the other thing too, is that we start our groups on friendship, on friends. And so we want them to stay together as long as possible. But then you got to realize when you do that, the Achilles heel and every small group system has an Achilles heel. Our Achilles heels is it's hard to get out of your group when you start a group like that. Your group for life. Yes. Yeah. It, it's like getting out of the mob. So, uh, <laughs> so what we've created was, you know, during our campaigns, which is in chapter 17, we always dip into our network and say, if God's brought two new friends, then step out and just try it and see what God does. Mm-hmm. And with the crack up, it's in my own personal group. We've had three couples that have stepped out and I could see it coming because, you know, mm-hmm. they were kind of an awkward thing. And then when a campaign came, they go, oh, you know what? God's kind of called us, but we'll be back. <laughs> and I'm like going, I designed the strategy. So <laughs> you won't be back. And I did say that to them. I said, okay, well, we'll pray. And, you know, everyone, they go out and they have new friends. Because again, sociologically, mm-hmm. what you've got to remember is that the younger your kids are, the more they determine your friends. It's true. The yeah. older your kids get, you get to pick your friends. Really? That's coming yes. our way? And so what <laughs> happens is not that you would change that from any of your friends that are watching this right now. <laughs> really? I can dump those people? They're idiots. Uh, you know. I'm saying we've been friends a long time. Because <laughs> we got to choose it. But uh, what you discover is that when all these, when you add all these sociological things and cultural things I've talked about, it's very hard in Western cultures or we're where family fracturing is high mm. to do rapid cell multiplication. Now, you just have to figure out what's the right. next best step. Right. Wow. Th- that was really helpful. I don't mean to sound skeptical. That was really helpful. I mean, also, sir. Yeah, you're like, what? This will stump him. Watch <laughs> no, this. <laughs> no, that was actually really great. I love that model of it being family and um, small groups ministry is so relational. It, that really makes sense. Yeah. Um, and I think we all dealt with people trying to force people to split, and I've given up too, and I've kind of added it on instead. Um, okay, so this uh, this is related to one of the things you, you said. Um, the 
in order for the strategy for evangelism to happen, I feel like usually when we talk about the five purposes or whatever we call them in our different church environments. Let's just talk about the Great Commission and the Great Commandment. <laughs> yes, okay. But we can call them something different. They, you know, some churches, they all start with the same letters. They, they've the got Bible. different, <laughs> different, the different go ahead, things. On. All right, so whatever you call them, obviously we're in groups because we want to disciple people and we want to make disciples that disciple others. So uh, one of the questions that came up was how do you change your small group culture so so that it's less of a fellowship-based. Um, I know fellowship can encompass discipleship. I'm not saying it can't, but it's less about kind of that emotional connectedness that people are looking because of the fractured issues um, and the disconnectedness of our culture and drive more discipleship more deeply. Yeah. And I think nowadays it seems like there's such a focus on that, and a lot of the discussion seems to be around curriculum. And I, I think curriculum is a tool, but not the the end the in and of itself. Yeah. yeah. And so, talk to us about that. How, what's a way to to drive discipleship in a more holistic, full way within group life? So first thing you got to understand is that in small groups, for decentralized groupings of people, the Achilles heel is fellowship. Because they'll think that, oh, that's what everybody wants, and that's what we enjoy. Mm -hmm. That's what I enjoy. Sure. But if you're left to that device, what's happening is, is that a felt need is not going to be met. And so when that felt need is not met, they'll go on to a different fellowship type of group. So that's one thing just to tuck in Mm -hmm. right there. The other thing, too, is for groups that are more centralized, it could be called adult Sunday school, or you could have a lot of your groups centralized on campus because you got the room. Your Achilles heel there is discipleship because what can happen is a teacher can go, oh, a grouping of people, and I want to teach them. So then it becomes information transfer. Right. So then what you're trying to talk about is going, okay, how how do we put systems in place that can move groupings of people from what they naturally gravitate towards to being able to do what we want to see happen in the Great Commission and the Great Commandment. And so with that, you've got to understand, in order to keep any group on track, you need need some guardrails in place. It's kind of like, you know, when you were teaching your kids to drive, you're thankful for curbs. And if you're driving <laughs> in the mountain roads, you're really thankful for guardrails. You may trash the car, but at least you live to tell right. about it. <laughs> uh, so you need guardrails. And one of those is you need a head guardrail, which predominantly has uh, leader training. Mm. So you're cognitively training them what to do. You have tools that are in place. So for us, we have, you know, like a 250 big ideas that gives them ideas on how to do these things in your group. We have a tool called Don't Lead Alone that is a audio tool that helps them with that. We have a health assessment and a, and a group assessment that produces individual plans and group plans that are tools that help people say, okay, I'm wired this way towards liking something more than another in the Great Commission, Great Commandment. How does my group you know, empower others to speak into the group so that we don't have to, uh, you know, fall into that trap of just being social. Uh, And then you also need curriculum or we, uh, I would say video curriculum so that you can use curriculum as a tool to say, if your group is deficient in this, Mm -hmm. when you look at the great commission and the great commandment, you know, this is where I would encourage my groups to do that. Uh, so that's the head guardrail. The heart guardrail is your coaching structure or your community leaders that relationally give real-time application to helping groups diagnostically see where they're at, but relationally move them where they need to be. The other piece with that, too, is data. You've got to have data on your groups. And by data, I'm not talking about hard data of 
you know, name, address, phone number, email. I'm talking about the soft data of being able to say, okay, what are these things that I need to know about this person? So if you're looking at your group leaders and you don't know their spouse's name, their anniversary, their birth dates, their kids' name, yeah, their kids' names, their kids' birth dates, because what happens is when um, when you pour into them, they're more receptive to you pouring back into them. And so like when uh, Eric was going to school and Rick texted me and he said, hey, I know tomorrow is a big day for you. You're taking your daughter to school. Just know I'm praying for you. That did more for me than the last four weeks of sermons. No, I don't tell him that. Uh, but you <laughs> but, uh, just did. <laughs> oh, well, Thanks, Rick. He won't watch us. Um, but the point is when you text your group leader and say, hey, uh, today's your birthday. Just want to let you know I'm praying mm-hmm. for you. And nothing else. Mm-hmm. Don't do come to leader training one. Don't do this. <laughs> don't do that. You're bonding with them. When you say, hey, in three days at your wife's birthday, I'm sure you already ordered flowers, uh, you know, could, you know, just want to help you out. Or, hey, today's your kid's birthday. Just want to let you know, I'm praying. I'm praying for Emmy. And I just want you to know that this is a scripture. I'm praying over them. What happens is, just just by what you said right there, that, oh. So, but what happens is (laughs) when your relational guardrail doesn't understand, they've got to become their friend first. Mm before they teach them how to be a leader, again, think in a family system. Right. If you're just telling your kids what to do all the time, but you don't build memories and relationships with them, they're not going to listen to you. Because you always want to speak the truth into people's lives. But truth, you can only speak truth into their lives if they trust you. And the only way they trust you, if you spend time with them. And so, and I'm sure there's people in multi-level marketing that are godly and wonderful, but there's nothing more disappointing than being invited over to a friend's house. You're eating dinner there. You think, wow, I finally got someone that invited me over for dinner. And then at dessert, they bring a catalog and say, hey, would you show up my wares? And you're like going, oh, that was, this was not, this was not a great dinner. Now that feeling is what every one of our group leaders say. I am so excited that you are stepping out in faith in God. Would you go to our training? Would you do this for mm-hmm. me? Would you fill out this form? Would you do this? And what happens is, is that that heart guardrail is sometimes very neglected mm-hmm. into a transactional instead of a relational aspect. Mm-hmm. So when you have those two guardrails in place, you can find that you can, you can relationally, which is how Jesus discipled, and it's how Paul told us to do and how Peter told us to do, then by your good example, they'll start to listen to you. You know, in addition to that is by doing that, you've modeled, you know, when we do this with our leaders as the point leader, they then more naturally do it with their group members, right? So wouldn't you say the same things that they need to know are our group leaders and they need to know those dates and those occasions in people's yeah, lives? And that's why data is so important. So you can move from just that, that kind of date, data to, you know, what you're praying for them on. Because mm-hmm. I'll forget, but I've got to write it down so that when, I, when I'm engaging with them again, I say, hey, last time we were together, we were praying right. about this. Right. So, you know, before I talk about anything, you know, update me on how all that's moving. Yes. And that bonds you with people in a deeper way so then that when you want to speak truth, they're saying, mm-hmm. you've got to do all the Great Commission, Great Commandment. You just can't have head knowledge. You just can't be fellowship only. You've you got to do all these aspects. That's why it's so important that... You know, you can't microwave a great small group ministry. 
You've got to build it in a systematic way so that you can do the things that God wants you to do. But so often we're reactive, mm-hmm. not proactive, and then we're always on our heels. All right. Well, that's a good warning. Um, okay, I'm going to ask Steve a really important question, and I want you guys to be thinking about what you'd like to ask or, uh, or participate in. So I'm giving you one minute while I ask him this really important question. It's a question from our good buddy, Will Johnston. Hey, Will, how do you make your hair look so good? <laughs> well... All I would say is, Will, the first thing you got to do is you got to have hair. So uh, then, then we're, I'll tell you about my products later. Yeah, yeah. And you can uh, help sell them with me. And I'll your, give you a catalog. For dinner. Um, I'm we, not going to take them to dinner. I'm just going to say, hey, sell them for me. Um, so we have some friends from the lobby here with us. Um, and I want to open it up if you guys have any questions. Um, some of you, I know, do have questions. Be bold. Come step up and um, go ahead and ask. Oh, yay. Say your name and where you're from. I'm Kevin from LCBC in Pennsylvania. So Stevie talked about uh, having 10-year or 10-year life groups that are going on forever. Yeah. Okay. And um, so one of the things that outside of the Achilles heel, you identified another Achilles heel for us is interjecting more excitement so they don't fall off the back of uh, boredom or uh-huh. habitu- uh, just habitually doing the wrong stuff. So um, can you speak a little bit more to what have you seen to reincite, reinvigorate, long-term groups. Um, a lot of things I've heard around the lobby this week is, you know, focus on new groups mm-hmm. and don't worry about those guys. Um, but I think there's probably a different key to that. No, I, I mean, I think that there's, there's a number of things. And sometimes, you know, we think we're helping our, um, if you think to your kids, you think if you don't give your kids structure, you're, you're helping them out. And what, what evidently happens is that or happens is that then the kids need, you find out they need structure and they need support. And so one of the things you got to understand, the, 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 what groups come together for, and Rick touched on this, you know, content brings them in, relation keeps them stuck. That's a great line. But the thing is, is that what groups do is they fill a need that people have, and that's to fill their spiritual void that they have. And when you start looking at a, at a church system, your weekend services, they, they come because of relevant teaching, but they need a vision from the church that's bigger than them to keep them engaged. In ministries, they, they will come to your church and they'll stick because you give them a responsibility. But when you can turn that responsibility into something that, that they value, that brings them value, they'll do it forever. In the same way in the group's world, that keeping long-term groups engaged is first off getting them to look at your discipleship plan and help give them structure to build a, be a better follower of Christ. So it's engaging with them and challenging them. But then the next phase is with long-term groups is you've always got to challenge them to help teach the next, next generation. So one of the things that have kept our long-term groups engaged is by saying, hey, can we get you on film training? Can you pour into the groups? Could you be a part of our infrastructure? Could you, could you take the wealth of knowledge and start to re-engage? Because you're right, you know, Kevin, it will get stale in their lives if they're not reproducing it in another way. Did that kind of answer your question before I... Sure. Can Kevin get jumps on? 
Yeah, I think um, we have a lot of established groups, and so that's something that we, we are constantly dealing with. We don't start as many new groups. We have a different model. And so um, one of the things I found really invigorating, and they kind of resist initially, but once they do it, they're like, oh, why didn't we do this before, is to invite someone new into the group. I think there's nothing more invigorating than having, especially a seeker, non-believer, or a new, brand new Christian. Like, it's a, it's a game changer, because then they're they're all excited to disciple this you know new person, um, and that seems to get them reminded of why they're in the groups in the first place. So whether um, it's because somebody invited them in or we placed someone in their group, and sometimes we've done that. We've said, I think uh, we've did this recently with a couples group that had a lot of older couples, and there was a young couple that wanted to be mentored a bit. Um, they were new to our church, and I, so we said, hey, would you mind taking them? I know you, you guys are full, um, and you have your own thing, and you're empty nesters, but would you mind taking on this young couple that's new to our area? And they're like, mm, okay. And now it's just been so great. They're investing in them. They're doing baby showers. It's just become a whole new ministry for them, kind of investing in the next generation. So where we can Same find songs, niches. A different verse, though. Yeah. Because what you're trying to do is get them out of their, what they're used to, doing something exactly. else. So I, I love what you're talking about. One methodology is bring somebody new into the group. The other one is get them to go out and right. pour into other folks. Right. That's a great question. Um, yes. Andrew Mason, Sacramento. So uh, one question, kind of two-pronged. Do you have any concepts, paradigms, philosophies when it comes to staffing? You know, sometimes a key to growth could be adding a staff member. How do you know when to do that from a small groups department? I I was hoping to ask Rick this last night, but then, and do you have any any, uh, feedback on that from a, a church perspective too of, of how much does a church staff for groups if they're trying to emphasize it, assuming you want to be a group-based church. So just staffing concepts and strategies. Yeah, I mean, I think in the uh, early days when we needed to swing the culture, we did uh, 10-hour hires on community leaders uh, to be able to uh, be like a, a track to develop people, moving them from, you know, basically, you know, a seeker to being on staff. So um, the problem with that system is it's not scalable. And so you have to understand that if you're gonna if you're gonna start to pay ten hour people based and we did it a one to twenty five ratio, chapter fourteen of the book. Uh, <laughs> um, uh, but you, you've got what you have to understand is it's not scalable, and then at some point in time, you will have to take all those people volunteer because the culture has made the turn. And so, what, so that's one thing you have to keep in mind. And I'll never forget the day when I told 52 people they were now volunteers. So no matter what you pay them, as nominal as it is, they get very used to it. Can we ask how many people stayed on as volunteers? Uh, I think it was almost two-thirds of them it's pretty good. stayed, if I remember right. I, I did remember my Christmas card <laughs> count dropped significantly <laughs> that year. Um, but now here's the other problem with the, with that model. Now I'm not saying it's a bad one. You just have to go into it very open-eyed staffing-wise is people tend to get into it for the right reason, but they don't get out of it for the right reason. So they got into it because they love people and they wanted to help you out and build the groups movement. And so I think we paid ours $1,000 a month uh, or $800. I can't remember the exact number. But the problem is is when life crept in and they couldn't do their job, they felt extremely guilty. Mm-hmm. So I rarely had any of them come up and say, I'm volunteering to step away from this. 
Uh, so you have to have a, enough, a thick of enough skin to be able to say, here are the metrics we want to see you do so that you're following up on the groups. And then what we need to do is be able to uh, engage with them and say, hey, this may be a time for you to step out. So that, that's one part of strategy. The other thing we moved towards was we, we went to about a one to 250 ratio. So once we had 250 groups, that's when we hired a full-time pastor. So, but what I would say is staffing is never your answer. Staffing is never your answer. Engaging in volunteers is always the way because um, if I could rewind the tape on anything, it would have been that. I would have kept, uh, it, I would have kept it stronger uh, I would kept our staff and our community leaders hungry to find other volunteers who are passionate about that. Because what happened is I found out the culture was waiting for the next hire versus developing the next leader. Wow. That's actually very convicting because we don't. Um, we do the part-time um, overseeing 50, 60 groups. And I've tried coaching in so many different ways. And it's just where we are, it's so hard to find people that have time. Um, we're in commuter so c- culture. Can I address that real quick? Yes. So it's funny because I, I just got through. I've got a, a, a new uh, chapter I'm working on in a different book. And one of them is, is that because everybody has 168 hours. Everybody. I do. You do that. So let's go back to dating. So when, uh, when you and Don were not yet that dreamy-eyed couple and everything there, and you were looking for Don to you know, ask you out, or you asked Don, I don't know which way it went, uh, but it's National Women's Day, so maybe you did ask him out first. I don't know. But in dating, if there's somebody that asks you out and you don't want to go out with them, what do you do? You go, I'll pray about it. And so and then, if you're in Christian yeah, college, no, yeah. I, yeah. <laughs> and, and, and that's a Christian way to say, no, I don't want you and stuff like that. But if that person is a priority in your life, then what happens is you don't even know what's on your schedule and you'll say yes and you'll deal with it later because that person's moved off your priority. So when people say I'm too busy, what they're telling you is you're not a priority. So what I would challenge churches to do is say, people come into our three dynamics of temple courts, house to house, and ministries because of felt needs. Mm -hmm. And when you minister to those felt needs and you find out the converse of that, so like what I said before, people come to your church because of relevant teaching. They can apply it on Monday, but they won't last forever just on that. They got to have a vision that your church is going towards in groups they may come because of you know content and relationships, but why they, they give you more of their time is because they are being discipled. You're filling a void in them. If you don't believe that, look at any cult. Cults <laughs> are trying to fill that, and they'll get people to do the goofiest things on the planet. True. The same thing is in uh, ministries. You can give anybody a responsibility and say, hey, would you do this for my group, or would you do this? But when it's something that they're shaped for and they value and it brings them value, they will give you more time because it's more of a priority. So what I would say is the, the issue is not busyness. I believe, because I've seen it at Saddleback, the issue is we're not hitting their felt needs and helping them, because you know, when they engage and there's reciprocal uh, I- impact from them, they will reprioritize their life to give it to you. And so part of that I always say is, do we ever pray that people tithe their time as much as they tithe their money? 
and and going after that. So there's a whole talk on that. I know it's hard to do when you're when I'm trying to talk about something I draw visually, but I would go back to saying look at look to see if it's a priority in the way that they're shaped or who they are because when we're talking about people helping out in the infrastructure, you've got to be able to engage them and they've got to be able to being feel like they have they're making a value difference. And that's why we did our coaching structure difference because the number one reason why people jumped out of our ministry is because people weren't engaging with them. Yeah. That's why we're giving all of our new groups to volunteers and all of the, you know, veteran groups and the stubborn groups to our pastoral staff so (laughs) that, you know, hey, the staff ain't going to leave because, you know, I don't care how much they don't get fed. You know, they're going, oh, I got a job. (laughs) Uh, Hopefully it's a calling, but I say it in jest. But the thing is, you've got to be able to uh, engage people in that way. Yeah, I think that probably is the biggest reason to have where coaches get discouraged. Um, so, yeah, giving them new leaders does help. But I got to think about that some more. I think there is seasons of life that are busier than others where you may and want to prioritize, but maybe not. Uh, but I, I hear and, you. And no doubt there's yeah. availability and there's capability. Mm-hmm. So young families, they may yeah. be capable, but the availability is not there. Right. Because your ministry is first to your family. But on the same side of it is... Uh, a lot of times I found we say no for them. Yes. We, we give them a no yes. versus, you know, finding out because yes. there's a, a lot of young families out there that are making dynamic changes on this planet. Mm-hmm. And somehow they find out how to prioritize their 168 hours. That's true. That's a good word. Um, any questions? Any others? No. Okay. We have a few more. Um, oh, we got one over there. Oh, we did? Yes. You got to come over here to the mic so we can hear you. <laughs> Hi, I'm Nadine from the Washington, D.C. area, church called Zion Church. Woo-hoo! Yay! <laughs> um, so my question, um, we, have a, we have a training system right now at our church that's very long and slow. It's several weeks long. <laughs> so we're, we're thinking about going to something shorter. We're not sure we're ready for like a one-hour training like Rick talked about last night. That's very scary for us. Um, <laughs> but in thinking about that, in shortening our training, something he mentioned about every cell group, every small group having the, the DNA. Mm-hmm. How does a leader get that DNA in a one-hour training? Because that's where we're like, you know, you need like 12 weeks, and we're going to give you everything in 12 weeks. But we're like, if we shorten it, what do we take out? And where are they getting that later on? Yeah, so a, a great question, a very common question, too. Uh, one thing is, is your church has to be clear on the DNA. And one of the things Rick has been clear for 36 years is it's not a wonderment of what our DNA is. You know, it's the Great Commission, the Great Commandment, and you you heard him him talk about that. So I think one of the pieces is is your church clear on the DNA. But again, I go back to a family system. Whether we know it or not, when we raise our children, they are getting our DNA. And so sometimes you do that by spending time with them and giving them examples. Sometimes you do that through the cognitive gate. So you got to look to see how your leaders learn best uh, through that. So like one of our values, to give you a case in point, is serving. And so serving both in knowing your giftedness to the church and serving as a group. So a lot of times they don't, you, you can tell them all you want about that. You can teach on it, but when they get their hands dirty, then they go, oh, this is why this is important and that. And so as many ways as that you can do with your kids, and your kids, you try to be proactive. You try to teach them all the right things to do. But you're also being very aware of when they violate that and they have a repercussion that you say, oh, here's another way you can learn about 
you know, why we do what we do. Because when you do this and, you know, you hit a bump, then this is why we want you to be able to do these kind types of things. So I, I think there's a training component to it. There's an experiential component to it. Uh, again, and plus all of your guardrail systems are doing that. So leader training is training about it. Video is reinforcing it, our video curriculum. Um, our tools will reinforce ways for them to personally go through and experience the DNA. And then there's the relational people that come alongside them and, and are helping them out. So you know that's the whole thing that, you know, it takes a village to raise your kid. So what I would do is start to map out, and we do this through our Accelerate training that, that we offer through the small group network, is that we help you, you know, understand what are all those, those things that raise that group to be healthy? Who are all the people in the village that help that out? And so there's, there's many ways that engage with that. Yeah, and I, I think earlier on in, the, in uh, my ministry, I thought I have to give them everything. They need to know everything. I'm kind of a comprehensive sort of girl. I'm like, they need to know. You haven't been this, picking that up. Yeah this, situ- yeah, this situation might come up. They need to know about this. And I was just overly uh, instructive, and our training was long. And then I realized they can't even like take that in until they've had some experience. So then I kind of did more of a scope and sequence. So our um, one-hour beginning training is much more basic. It's more of an appetizer. Here's some things you hit, you know, facilitation skills, because you need that right out of the gate. Um, There's some kind of vision stuff and some kind of DNA things. So kind of give them taste bite-sized things and really focus on facilitation, because that's what's going to help them be successful initially. Um, And then subsequent trainings, which are more one-on-one for us with their area leaders, which is what we call our coaches, um, end up focusing more specifically on skills that are coming up, depending on the type of group. If it's a a mixed group with different ages, that's going to have different issues than maybe a young adult group or with the same gender, Um, men's groups, women's groups, whatever they are. Some of them are going to be a little different, and so we just tailor it to, and this isn't super scalable either, but this is how we run it, um, to be very relational with it and very personal with it. And then we have our larger group times, a little longer, and that's more bigger picture vision and whatnot. But I think what, what switched, the, switched the for me was I realized they can't even intake this. It's like, like the family system. My kids, I'm telling them stuff, you know, they need to know when they're 18. And here I'm trying to tell them that when they're but six. But as a kindergartner, she really needed it. So Yeah, she needs to know, you know how to apply to college when she's a kindergartner. Um, but just kind of the idea of scope and sequence really helped. Um, but for my own neurotic mind, I give them a manual that actually has everything in it. And then I'm like, just look at chapter one first. And then we'll, we'll talk about how to resolve conflict. And when your group is going downhill, we'll, we'll talk about that later because that will hum. They're like, no, we love each other. It's all great. Yeah. Well, that will happen later. And yeah. it's, it's in there for you for later. And we just kind of give them that, that sense of peace. Then I felt better about having a short tight thing in the upfront to get them rolling and then scope it along the way. Flip, flip learning is something I would, you know, Google that. Flip, and flip, flip, flip learning. learning. Okay. Uh, no, no, I didn't know what else. you were saying there. No, I mean, I mean, they're doing it in my kid's high school. And that is that their homework is they watch the teacher teach. Mm. And when they come to school, then the teacher watches them do the homework to see if they've applied it. And so a lot of times you, when you're flipping the system, what, what we're doing is going more module in our training and we're letting them watch the training and then be able to say, hey, when we come together, let's talk about how that impacted us. And so there, there's many different ways to go, go after it, but you just want to start to think through those things. Yeah. Khan Academy is another one that does it really well. So, I mean, the great thing about business and, and educational systems is <laughs> you let them do all the research and pay for all the money to see what works. And, and then coffee. just do it and say, I just did my research on this. And 
we just copy whatever you do. Yeah. Yeah. And let right. you, you do that. Liar. Work. Liar. <laughs> All right. We have about five minutes left. And I do want to ask you um, this: the couple of these. Um, there was several questions around types of groups. And everybody's got different models, different types of groups. But I was curious if you had preference or could speak to whether you have um, ongoing uh, groups, open groups, closed groups, um, homework, no homework, mixed groups, uh, age and stage groups versus geographical groups. Just as a blanket statement, what do you want to say about types of groups and how that impacts your ministry? Yeah, I, I think what I'd say is I don't care what the groupings of people are. Churches tend to have two types of groupings of people. One that execute ministries, which overbalance the Great Commission and the Great Commandment you know, to, to, to a fault, Nothing wrong with those types of groupings of people, but they tend to serve the church in different ways. So if you take fellowship, discipleship, serving, evangelism, or worship, and do that 95% of those groupings of people, you, in a se- essence, have ministries that are in your church. There's another grouping of people that are working on balancing the Great Commission, the Great Commandment, and those are our small groups. So again, I don't care where groupings of people naturally congregate. We have, you know, uh, a group that uh, meets on Alaska Airlines on the long flight, and they do group together. Seriously? Yeah. That is so cool. I don't care if they're 35,000 feet in the air. We have a couple groups that meet on yachts that I personally care for. I shepherd (laughs) them. Uh, Because our our staff isn't, you know, strategic enough to know how to handle those groups. but, they're your uh, personal, your personal ones. <laughs> I, I know. I'm, I'm, I'm a you're shepherd. A giver, you're a giver. I'm the shepherd. <laughs> That's a shepherding part of me. But um, the point is, is that you don't care where they meet on campus, off campus, in the air, on a boat, on a train. You don't care. I feel like Doctor Seuss. I know. <laughs> on a train in a boat. Yeah. So yes. uh, <laughs> green eggs in here. Yes. I like that. In a restaurant <laughs> and on coffee. You don't care where the groupings meet. What you care about is what they produce, Mm. and that's health. So what I would say is don't get lost in language. Get lost in health so that, you know, because they want a car. And people say, well, are we a small group? I go, are you balancing the five purposes? If you're not, you're probably doing a ministry, Mm. whether you like it or not. And so, you know, just call it what it is. But you, you set the definitions. You set the structure. Oh, that's a really great place, I think, for us to end. Um, so focus on health, not so much on all the nuances and all the, the different ways we yeah. do things. Especially if you're in a Sunday school environment. Don't get lost in what you call it Sunday school or small groups. The semantics really don't matter. Yeah, they don't. Health does matter. Health does matter. All yeah. right. That's As I'm tweeted. getting older, I'm finding it out. <laughs> health matters a lot. <laughs> Excuse me, I have to go take my medication right now. So <laughs> so you haven't been on your meds all this time? Well, the, 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 I'm concerned. <laughs> well, that was round one. So, you know... <laughs> I will thank you, Steve, so much. I don't know if you have any parting comments you'd like to make to our listeners and our audience. No, I, what I would say is we're, we're here at the lobby. It's, it's sponsored by the Small Group Network. And again, one of the things I just encourage people who are doing small group ministry, Carol and I will tell you this over and over again. One is all leaders are learners and that the devil plays in two playgrounds, fear and isolation. And so uh, you may not have a staff, uh, because your church isn't big enough, but we have huddles all over the planet. And so I just encourage you to become a part of the small group network because all we're trying to do is link you together because once you've figured out your paradigm, your DNA, literally, that's about the only unique thing to all the churches. Once you figure that out, all the other stuff, we all deal with it. All the, the stuff that rolls up on our shore, you've got to deal with it. So again, I just want to encourage you, get with other people. And isolation 
you, you tend to get picked off by the enemy. And also in isolation, you aren't bold enough to take steps outside your comfort zone because you're scared. And I get it. I am the same way. So I would just say, you know, get together with the network, get to know people in your areas. We have huddles all over the planet, like I said, and you know, uh, don't, don't be in that zone that where you won't be effective. Yeah, and I think you do get more weary of well-doing when you are in isolation. Um, other ways to connect, if, um, they're, if you're not quite ready for a huddle yet, which is super easy, go on our website. You can look Don't at the map and find it. Don't be a wimp. Yes, thank you. That's such an encouraging word. <laughs> so gentle, so pastoral. Uh, the, the overseer needs a whip. So, <laughs> <laughs> um, But also on our Facebook uh, page, that is a very active page. People post all the time on that. And what's so cool is Steve is on there a lot, along with so many other people whose books you've read or people in churches that maybe um, are doing a similar model but are kind of further along. It's just a great resource. And I'm always amazed by the generosity and the graciousness of people in small group land. I hear um, I, we have you know other staff that go to conferences and other ministry areas. And I'm like, you know what? We have like the best because people are so kind and there's so little ego involved. And so just feel, be bold. If you have a question, jump into the Facebook one. If you scroll down, a lot of the questions have probably already been asked. But ask it again and you'll see others come around, other brothers and sisters in the same ministry. We're all in it for the same thing. Um, and we're all passionate about biblical community. So just dive into that as well and find, um, find connections and find those places to belong. So thank you so much for listening to Group Talk and for joining us on Facebook. And for our audience, thank you guys so much for being Woo! part of the journey. <laughs> all right, we'll see you next time. Bye. Okay, thank you for listening to Group Talk. We invite you to subscribe to the podcast through iTunes so you can get new episodes downloaded automatically. Also, if you wouldn't mind doing us a favor, please rate the podcast podcast and leave comments so other small group ministry leaders can easily find us. To connect with a small group network huddle in your local area, read our blog, join us on Facebook, or access additional resources. Visit our website at smallgroupnetwork.com. Remember to use the hashtag when engaging with your social media channels. Thank you for your support.